Welcome to episode 190 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast, brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee on the Dorkening Network. My name is Patrick Rahal, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd, and we are broadcasting here from the depths, the deep, deep depths of the uh, Pat Cave in uh, Magenta Manor, and uh, I am, of course, also joined by my co-host in life and my co-host on the show. She is the real housewife of Transylvania. She is the mistress of Merlot. She is the Michael Phelps of wine. She is the queen of the monsters and an honorary Lizzie, ladies and gentlemen. It is... Dramatic pause. Ashes Von Nightmare. Hey, pudding. I I wish I had pudding. Oh, pudding is good. Pudding is so good. We don't have any pudding, though. We don't have any pudding. There's no pudding in this house. There isn't. That's too bad. Jello pudding. What the hell was that? <laughs> you sounded like Maria Brink. That was my Bill Cosby. I got the sweater and the jello pudding. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably your worst imitation I've ever heard. You sounded like Maria Brink at first, and then, I don't know, like a mall Santa? <laughs> mall Santa. <laughs> Ho, 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 kids, have some jello pudding. You see, the kids, they <laughs> like the pudding. Okay, and... so I'm doing okay. Yes. <laughs> you see, the kids, they want the pudding. Yeah, we are not having you do impressions. This is this is the worst. This is the worst uh, uh, evening at the improv that I've ever been to. You want the jello pudding pops? Ho, oh. <laughs> You sound like someone who's about to eat a baby. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! Gonna I mean, eat me a baby? <laughs> I don't Put think, it in a pudding pot! I don't think Fat Albert ever ate babies. You don't know that. I mean, I don't you know. don't know what Fat Albert ate. Uh, he ate a lot. You never see him eat on the show, though. It's weird. Anyways, we're already sidetracked, like, under two minutes in. So in, we're not talking about Bill Cosby or Fat Albert today. Today we are discussing uh, one of the most popular DC characters out there who is uh, starring in her very own movie, even though it's uh, the title of the movie is misleading. So actually, they changed the title of it. Did you just mansplain to me? I am. I explaining. I'm yes. I'm explaining right now. Okay, because I know things. Well, actually. Well, actually, I know stuff. Yeah, I so know I'm they changed the title to tell you what I know. I know things. Let me. Let and me, you're drinking, so let you're drinking, me you shed you know my knowledge. Uh, want to share your knowledge? I'm shed my knowledge. I'm going to shed it all over the place. Oh, good. Like my hair. My hair just sheds all over the place. Uh, it's like I posted a meme the other that's day. That's a she shed. And it was like something about like your hair falling out is like your own personal confetti. You're like a walking party. And I really am because I have pink and purple hair. That was when awesome. You find my hair everywhere. It's just like, woo, Ash has been here. It's a party. So what's the name of the movie? Okay, so <laughs> the initial title was Birds of Prey, The Fantabulous Emancipation of One Miss Harley Quinn. I don't think there's a miss. Maybe there is. I don't know. It's a long title. Something like that. But then it just changed it to Bop HQ. That, that's, 
Well, that's what like the title posters and stuff are calling it. But they recently Bop. changed it. Uh, I don't think they're changing the actual title of the film, but they're changing the way that it is represented in theaters. Like when you go to purchase tickets and stuff, they're calling it Harley Quinn colon The Birds of Prey. Harley Quinn colon. Yeah. Colon. Yeah, a little colon. No, we're not making poop jokes right now. <laughs> That's not happening. Well, see, I think they did that a little bit too late. Because of, of poor ticket sales. And really... Because it's not I a Birds think, of Prey movie. Well, it's, it is, but it isn't. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit. No spoilers, people. But definitely, if you're interested, or even if you're not interested, Birds of Prey was so much fun. We are going to be discussing the uh, end credit moment. Like a little bit. Okay, so we'll give like a spoiler warning. Yeah, we'll we'll discuss the end credit moment because it has uh, a little something to do with something Some that's going to happen later on. Duff. But yeah. To be vague. But but anyways, because it has poor ticket sales and it's doing really well on Rotten Tomatoes. Not that I use Rotten Tomatoes as my barometer to judge like whether or not I want to personally see a film. But it's doing pretty well on Rotten Tomatoes. And a lot of people on my Facebook feed... Have said have seen it and said they freaking loved it, and I freaking loved it. It's a lot of fun. So if you haven't seen it, you really should. Yeah, it's it's a really good. Uh, it's like a good the movie. Story it's is well good. Done. Margot Robbie is hot, but she's a great, brilliant actress too. Like there are some I really fun uh, fight scenes. Like the action scenes are really like ridiculous at the end. Like they're a lot of fun, and the fact that this is directed by a woman means that we can actually focus on the character and not have her like bending over and stripping you know every other scene like she yeah she's not over sexualized but you really don't need it because she like the the story content the character content in this film is so great yeah and the characters are really well done like you have a lot of you know oscar worthy you know talent in the you know rosie i mean Rosie Perez does have an Oscar, but uh, at least I'm pretty sure she does. Yeah, she does. Um, you know, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is a quality actress. Um, Who is great as Huntress. And what I love about this film is it's a great direction, in, in my personal opinion. It's a great direction that they're going in. And you could easily get two more movies off of this one movie alone. They they set some stuff up. It's just really cool. I had so much fun with it. Uh, Journey Smollett Bell uh, was really good as Dinah Lance. Mm-hmm. I had to look up her name because I was confusing her name with uh, Ella J. Basco. I couldn't remember who played who because um, I'm not familiar with either of them other than this film. Uh, but she as Cassandra Kane, there was a little bit of controversy because of who Cassandra Kane is in the comics and how they portrayed her in the movie. But that is nothing new. Uh, I also liked Ewan McGregor as uh, Roman Sionis, also known as Black Mask. And uh, Chris Messina as Victor Zaz was really good. Uh, this this was a, a well-done film. But we're just going to be discussing Harley Quinn, and that's going to be like our main, our main topic today. But, Ashes, we have a getting into character question. We do. So we want to know... Who are some of your favorite DC vixens? Now, for me, I mean, I know some of yours, you know, but for me, uh, one of the most 
badass characters is Lady Shiva. Lady Shiva um, plays a, a huge role in uh, after Bane breaks Batman's back, getting Batman back on uh, you know the path to being Batman again. You know by killing this uh, this guy who is like this crazy martial arts master and framing Batman for it. And it's a it, she is one of the few people that can one on one beat Batman because they she is just as skilled like she's super badass and she's so cool so Lady Shiva is one of my favorites how about you so I have a few um do you want me to just go through my list real yeah quick? go through your list okay so one of the things I kind of really enjoy about the DC comic universe is that a lot of the backstories to their female superheroes female villains they're really smart Yes. You know, you have Dr. Harleen Quinzel, who mm. has, you know, a PhD in psychology. Uh, I believe Dr. Pamela Isley, Isley yep. uh, who is a botanist, you know. So I've always loved that. Uh, one of my favorite characters is Poison Ivy. I've always loved Poison Ivy. I think she's a very striking character visually with her hair and all the green that she wears. I really loved Uma Thurman's portrayal in the 90s. I think it was what, Batman Forever. One of the Yes. I think yeah, it was Batman Forever. The one with um, the she played the secondary bad guy to Arnold Schwarzenegger's Dr. Mr. Freeze. Yes. Uh but I I just I love the character. I actually have a Barbie of her. Mm-hmm. In the living room, and I've just I've always loved her. I liked the uh, Arkham portrayals of uh Poison Ivy because they definitely made her seem more like plant like, like she was green yes, and she had the vines yes. and stuff. Like it was real. It's a really cool uh, adaptation of that character. Yeah, but I always liked the way she was able to kind of like speak to the plants and get the plants to do her bidding for mm-hmm. her. I just think that's a really cool concept. I also really love Zatanna Zatara. She's a magician. She's magic. She's kind of witch-like in a, you know, in a, in a way, very spooky, but and mysterious. Uh, but again, like as a character, she's very visually stunning, and she can do so many different things. And uh, getting to know her character a little bit more in the DC animated universe. Yeah, you when you first watched uh, Justice League Dark is yes. when you were was your first introduction. You're like. Like, I who really is like this? her. She's I need super to know badass. more. Yeah, she was awesome. And my all-time favorite, this should come as no surprise, is Catwoman. I fucking love Catwoman. I love her in the I think my favorite version is the Julie 1960s Newmar. Adam West Batman versions. So Julie Newmar and Lee Merriweather. Who we met. Who yes, yes. If I if I ever met Julie Newmar, I don't know if I could like contain myself, but it was truly an honor having the opportunity to meet Lee Merriweather. She was so wonderful and delightful. Yeah, she was very delightful. Uh, but also Eartha Kitt mm-hmm. was a fantastic catwoman. And Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer was a good Catwoman. She played that character really, really well. I mean, the costuming. And I really enjoy how the costuming kind of has changed over the years. But definitely the full bodysuit of the 1960s Catwoman is is my favorite. I'm a fan of the long Halloween look. Yeah. Yeah, but there's there's something just so 
it's uh, I'm say hot for lack of better. There's something so hot about Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman costume. You know the the seams showing and all of the, all of the stitching and stuff, kind of like you know it's been scratched to pieces and then sewn back together. Mm-hmm. I just love that so much, and she played that character so well. She really made it her own. See, and that's the thing with Catwoman is a lot of people, you know, like oh, you know, we have to have a good Catwoman, so they have to be able to do this and that. But much like Batman, you have to have someone who can play Batman and also Bruce Wayne. So you right, have to have so someone who can play- also. Play Selena Kyle right. as well. And I think Pfeiffer pulled that off the absolute best. Versus the Holly Berry version that was I've just, never seen, so... It was sad. <laughs> it wasn't... Well, I, I didn't like it. It wasn't Even my Anne favorite. Hathaway's updated version, I don't think was I, nearly as good she as... Wasn't, she wasn't Selena Kyle. She just didn't, like, really capture the character. Right, there's that, you know... Part of who Selena is is she's a super badass, but she's also this like, you know, like you were saying, like this raw animal sexuality to her. Wait, she's seductive, but she's smart. Like so, unlike um, who's that? Oh, is that the animated? That's the lo- that's the long Halloween version. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, the purple one. Yes, with the big ears. Yeah, I see. I like that version too. I also really liked the way she was portrayed in the Arkham with the games. goggles. Yeah, with the full open. It was face kind of like a goggles. little, little kind of steampunkness to her look. You do get to play as Catwoman in that, and it's like there's um there's a part where you switch, you can switch back and forth, you know, between Catwoman and Batman depending on what you need to do. And there's like there's places marked on your map with a little cat. You can go there, and there's cats. And, like, she'll show up and, like, you know, you swap places because she can do stuff that Batman can't and vice versa. So when it comes to unlocking some of the secrets and and puzzles and stuff, you know, you need one or two of them. I also really enjoy how even the villainesses in the DC universe, they're not always bad. You know, you don't really have, like, a she is the bad guy. They're almost like anti-heroes. Catwoman definitely fits that bill. Um I would classify uh, Pamela Isley, Poison Ivy, more as like an eco-terrorist because she might be doing bad things, but she's doing it in the name of preserving the environment. Right. She has the best intentions behind what she's doing. But she doesn't, she doesn't mind murdering people on her way to do it. Lady Shiva is absolutely an, uh, a villain. She is, there's, no, there's no gray area. Lady Shiva, Copperhead... Um, that's another Batman villain. Um, yeah, they, there's, uh, even Talia Al Ghul, like, I would say she's more on the bad side than good. Like, all she wants is, is Batman slash Bruce Wayne, but she's definitely not doing anything good unless it serves her directly. So... I think that was a pretty good way to start off. Obviously, we're going to have so to do wait, a Catwoman. Do you have more? Because you just named off one. Well, I, I, I like Lady Shiva. Talia Al Ghul is a complicated character. She's very complicated. Inter- well, what was that? I was going to say complex and complicated at the same time. Very complicated profession. Bounty my... hunting is a complicated profession. Yeah, yeah, the profession. Werner Herzog. Um, Bounty hunting is a very complicated profession. You sound like a British Muppet. <laughs> Um, that should be like a, we should like do this for Patreon. Like we should start a Patreon and just like, here's, 
Ashley's Michael K. Ah, look at me! Oh, Michael K! Oh, Jim Jim okay. Drew! Seriously, if you guys would be interested in listening to me just reenact reenact movie scenes trying to do the voices of people let us know because if you're interested we'll do that we'll turn that into a patreon so for like a dollar of a month you could hear me make total ass of myself even more so than i do on this show hey that's a bingo <laughs> look that's at me a bingo. i'm hans lander <laughs> um but yeah, I, I I really like I said I like Lady Shiva because I think she's cool. I like um, I like uh, what's her name that I said Talia Al Ghul because she's a, a complex, complicated character. Uh, Catwoman, obviously, I didn't want to say some of the ones that you said, but I definitely uh, have some strong feelings. We have to do a, a Catwoman episode. I know, but uh, we can do an episode on our cats. Yes, they're ladies. They are. So I think with uh, with that we'll we'll take a quick break and when we come back we will get into our discussion of Dr. Harleen Quinzel. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Well, hello there, neighborinos. The handle's Mr. Most Days Off, but my friends call me Miles, and I'm the host of the Best Darn Diddly Review Show. Hello, Mr. Most Days Off. <laughs> and that's my best friend, Richie the Whiz Kid, the co-host of Best Darn Diddly. Hi, diddly ho there, podcasterinos. The Best Darn Diddly Review Show is a weekly journey through the entire Simpsons series, hosted by us, two guys who grew up loving the Simpsons. We discuss every diddly, every doodly, and every do. So lace up your assassin sneakers, put on your skin-tight ski suit, and head down the slopes with us at Best Darn Diddly. Stupid, sexy, Best Darn Diddly. You can catch us each and every Monday on bestdarndiddly.com. Can I help you? Why, yes, yes, you can. I'm here to report a terrible crime. And what terrible crime is that? This one. Ah, shit. I told this all wrong. Quick history lesson. This all started when the Joker and I broke up. It was completely mutual. And soon enough, I was back on my feet, ready to embrace the fierce goddess within. <laughs> it's oh so quiet. Now that I cut ties with Mr. J, I'm about to learn that a lot of people You're want me dead. All alone. And at the top of that list is this guy. I'm so peaceful. I'm but it turns out <laughs> that wasn't the only dame in Gotham looking for emancipation. You fall in love. <laughs> He's after all of us. The kid just robbed him. You betrayed him. You killed his BFF. <laughs> What? 
You are so cool. You never. And you're dumb enough to be building a case against him. So, unless we all want to die very unpleasant death, we're going to have to work together. Sure. Psychologically speaking, vengeance rarely brings the catharsis we hope for. Yeah. Are we ready? You blow up Hyena in a I named him Bruce after that hunky Wayne guy. <laughs> Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that. That was the uh, one of the several Birds of Prey trailers. Uh, I happen to like that one because it really gives you uh, the best synopsis of the film. Uh, it does show a couple of things in the trailer that you know were kind of important towards the end of the film, but it doesn't really spoil anything or ruin anything because uh, everything that you see in the trailers kind of laid out throughout the film. But uh, if you are interested in checking out uh, some articles about this, reading some people's thoughts, uh, check out our buddy Old Man Wade of the Old Man Wade Show. Uh, his article on blackrabbit.com. That's B-L-A-Q-U-E, rabbit. So blackrabbit.com. How do you spell rabbit? The normal way you spell rabbit. R-A-B-B-I-T. And dot, you don't actually write dot. It's just no. so uh yeah if you want to check that check that out uh he is a very talented writer and i absolutely recommend checking out any of the stuff that he posts either for black rabbit or bam smack pow so harley quinn dr harleen quinzel ashes uh you have really dug into this character because you're not quite as familiar with her as i am not that i'm an expert but you uh, really dug into her, and you got some interesting information. Uh, why don't we start with who she is and where she came from? So the character itself was uh, introduced in the DC animated universe, the Batman animated series, back in 1992, the episode titled Joker's Favor. And what was initially supposed to be the animated version or animated equivalent of a walk-on role Several police officers were to be taken hostage by someone jumping out of a cake. And it was decided that to have the Joker do it himself was just kind of off. So they decided to introduce this character and felt that, excuse me, having it be a female character would just seem more natural to be jumping out of a cake than the Joker. Although I feel like these days the Joker jumping out of a cake would be really Especially in character, especially Jared Leto, he would definitely do it. But it's funny we were talking about this. Jared Leto air. would do a lot of things. We were talking about this a little off air. You were you were like, "Wow, it's amazing how much how much history and how many like stories and how much content there is for Harley Quinn, considering she came out in 1992." And I was like, "Yeah, but that was almost three decades ago." I can't tell time anymore. But okay? like, you don't think of the 90s as being well, 20 no. years ago, 30 years ago. No, like, <laughs> it was just yesterday. It's like, oh, that's 
That's depressing. Like, my sister was born in 92, and she's still, like, five. So I don't know, like, time? What's that? But anyways, yeah. So the creators thought that it would be too bizarre for the Joker to be popping out of cake and doing that. So they decided to create this one-off character that was supposed to be a one-off character. um, And kind of made her a little bit of a love interest as well. Which is... In that episode? Yeah, like, there's definitely something... Because uh, I was looking at some of the clips, there's definitely uh, something between them, you know, at that initial onset. But it's it's more like her infatuation with him, which tends to be what their relationship is like. Right. And again, like she was only supposed to be this one off character, this one episode, you know, character thing that didn't really put too much thought into her. But her character blew up pretty much overnight. People loved Harley Quinn. They loved the aesthetics of her. They wanted to know more. Now, Paul Dini actually got the idea for this character, and she was inspired by actress Arlene Sorkin due to her character from Days of Our Lives wearing a jester costume in one of the episodes. So that's where he got the idea for Harley's costume and personality. And actually, I believe he got Arlene Sorkin to voice her as well. I... Think I think initially. in that I think in that episode she did. I know Tara Strong went on to voice her. Yeah, Tara Strong definitely is the one who is most well known for voicing the, Harley Quinn. Yes. yes, but I think Arlene Sorkin was the one who voiced the character in this episode because again, it was only supposed to be a one-off character. They didn't put too much thought into her. However, she just grew in popularity, and they realized that they they needed to bring her back. Yeah, and she has voiced the character many, many times since then. Uh, the DC Universe Online, Arkham Asylum, because uh, she actually played both Harleen Quinzel and Harley Quinn in that uh, in that particular game. Um, so yeah, like she did Batman Vengeance, Gotham Girls, Batman Beyond the Return of the Joker, which is one of the darker episodes. Um, new Batman adventures, Superman, like basically when it wasn't, she did it for two years um, for Batman, the animated series. And then obviously uh, Tara Strong took over from there. But yeah, it was, it's, uh, you know, and funny, funny story talking about Selena Kyle and like the, the raw sexuality and, and, you know, just uh, sensuality more for, uh, Catwoman, uh, she was played in the uh, animated series by Adrian Barbeau. So, I mean, that kind of makes sense. But yeah, there's uh, there's some interesting story when it comes to the, you know, the the voicing of that character and where she came from. So it makes sense that they would have Arlene Sorkin uh, come in and and voice her. Well, and she's had some great voices since then too. I believe Jenny Slate does uh, her voice for, if not one, a couple of the animated. Uh, movies. We know that Kaylee Cuoco is voicing her in the new Harley Quinn DC animated series. The one that's a little more uh, adult oriented because yes. of the language involved yes. and some of the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Jenny Slate did the, uh, the she was Harley Quinn in the Lego Batman movies. Oh. So that's yeah. Fun. I mean, that's still animated, but yeah. Right. So. Harley Quinn wasn't always Harley Quinn. She started out as Dr. Harleen Francis Quinzel. Oh, I didn't know her middle name. 
Yeah, she has a middle name and it's Francis. Don't tell Deadpool. <laughs> but PhD psychology. She was in Arkham Asylum and she was signed to the case of the Joker. Yeah, she was and, working there at the time. Right. Not just there because she was crazy. She was working. Well, well there. this is it. Yeah, she yeah. this is this isn't Harley Quinn. This is Harleen Quinzel, PhD psychologist working at Arkham Asylum, signed to the case of the Joker. Right. I'm just making sure people are aware right. who are unfamiliar right, right, right. was she was a doctor. She was employed there. She wasn't incarcerated there. Right. Um so anyways, yeah, she gets assigned to Joker's case. And in the process of being his psychologist, ends up falling for him. He certainly helped manipulate her along, like, because he's brilliant. Like, he's got genius-level intellect, so he's able to pick up on little things. So while she's trying to treat him, he's picking up on all, all her little things, like cold reading, like what these fake psychics do, and makes her fall for him. Right, and there's even a scene in the animated series where the Joker sits in her chair and has her sit on kind of like the Shea Lounge thing that the patients get to sit on and kind of like does a role reversal, you know, and and gets her to feel comfortable with him, you know, be vulnerable with him. And I think at that moment, that's when he knew that he could get her to do anything that he he wanted her to do. Which we kind of see a little bit in the uh, Suicide Squad movie where he's like, you know, you'll do anything for me, right? Get me a machine gun. Right, but that was after, like, this is before she became Harley Quinn. This is just when she was still Dr. Well, this is when he indoctrinated her. She was still his doctor in that scene. I know, it's been a while since you've seen it because you only watched that movie once. Um, Yeah, Suicide Squad wasn't my favorite. I think I need to kind of, like, backtrack a little bit. Harley Quinn is not my favorite character, or at least she wasn't. Yeah, you weren't a fan of that character until... Until Margot Robbie took it over, really. And uh, I liked it a little more in Suicide Squad. I thought her portrayal, like, she was the best part of Suicide Squad. And then in Birds of Prey, I'm just, I'm sold. I'm sold on this character. But I think what kind of um, deterred me from this character a little bit was the fact that I didn't really understand the full backstory of Harley Quinn. I just saw her as the Joker's pathetic girlfriend, not really realizing, fully realizing everything that had gone into it. That the fact that, you know, she used to be a doctor, she pretty much fell victim to the Joker. Yeah. And which there's no shame in that because a lot of people do. Even Batman has fallen victim to the Joker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's a master manipulator. Like. And it's funny that you mentioned how she was supposed to be a one-off character. The Joker was originally going to be a one-off character. He was loosely based, his appearance was loosely based on Conrad Veidt in The Man Who Laughs, the silent film from, I think, 1928. So, Harleen Quinzel, Dr. Harleen Quinzel, becomes fascinated with the Joker while working at Arkham Asylum and volunteers to help treat him because she thinks that she can be the one to help save the Joker. She falls hopelessly in love with the Joker during their sessions and helps him escape from Arkham Asylum on multiple occasions. When Batman returns a severely injured Joker to Arkham, she dons a jester costume 
the costume that the Harlequin, the, 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 you know, that's synonymous with the character with at the this black point. Black and red with the little bells. You know, to become Harley Quinn, the Joker's sidekick. And that's kind of how this relationship really escalates. Like, she becomes his sidekick. She becomes his love interest. She devotes everything to him. And their relationship is just horrible. It's abusive from the start. Yeah, he's insulting towards her and ignores her and hurts her and even tries to kill her at times. He is physically abusive to her all the time. And this is where like we see some of the differences as her character has changed, like the character's look has changed. Uh the character now looks more like Margot Robbie's portrayal, you know, with just mostly blonde with like little tips of uh color at the end of her hair, the eyeshadow on uh over each eye that's a different color, like the blue and the green. Or the purple, and, you know, it depends on the... Well, and I think, um, so in this, the original origin story, she painted her skin white to mimic the Joker. Yes. Whereas, I think it's the new 52's origin story, and it's definitely the origin story that they use in the Suicide Squad film. She falls in a vat of acid, the same acid that turned the Joker the way he is. To prove herself to him. Right. Um, At the hands of the Joker. And that's why her skin yeah, is Yeah, he tosses her in. Right, and that's why her skin is so pale, and that's why she has the features that she has. Right. Uh, I don't like all the tattoos and stuff. Like, I'm not a fan of that, because I thought that was excessive, especially with the Joker, but in order to make her seem like she was more with the Joker for that uh, for that movie, like... She also had to get all that, like, he's got the damage tattoo. She's got the rotten tattoo and the heart and all that. So Margot Robbie actually did a lot of those, ta- like, did tattoos on set of Suicide Squad. She purchased a tattoo gun off of eBay and tattooed some of her coworkers and did that on the side. Now, granted, you know, I don't recommend going on eBay and buying a tattoo gun and doing things without supervision and without learning things. Don't get, if you want to be a tattoo artist, get certified first. Do it the right way. But uh, she didn't do that. And apparently she tattooed some of her friends. And she was in a wedding, at a wedding, and she had tattooed, I think, one of the bridesmaids and it didn't come out right and the bridesmaids mother was at the wedding too and saw the bridesmaids tattoo and freaked out at Margot Robbie at the wedding for tattooing her daughter and Margot Robbie's like yeah I'm not I'm not tattooing anymore like I'm I'm done it's probably a good idea probably unless, yes unless you're qualified to do so but i just thought that was a really funny story oh that is that like, is but, like who wouldn't be like wow like i got this fucked up tattoo but like margot robbie did it to me yeah like like i, I there's I only gonna be it. a handful of those right it's not like you know she's a professional and this is what she does but i think uh a lot of the cast of suicide squad what they got match i'm gonna use quotations around this matching tattoos because if you're unskilled, I'm sure that they were all about supposed as, to be as, the same thing. Yeah, they're they're about as matching as you can probably get. It'd be like that uh, that scene in Family Guy, where the the guy is uh, going to tattoo the biker, and he's like, 
so what do we tattoo? He's like, I want a skull. He's like, well, I'm real good at drawing Kermit the Frog, so I'm going to go ahead and do that. No, I want a skull. All right, well, I'm going to go ahead and do Kermit the Frog. But, yeah, their relationship, uh, I don't know why. They're, uh, yeah, that happens all the time. My TV randomly just turned Apparently on. we have poltergeist. Um, but, yeah, their their relationship, and this is what drives me nuts about these uh, these friggin' hot topic things. Like, you have all these little teen girls and teen well, especially boys. Especially around, like, a movie release or around Valentine's Day. You know, uh, the whole his it's Harley less now. and her Joker and all of these, you know, things celebrating this relationship between Harley Quinn and Joker. And it's like, this is such a horrible thing to do. Stop it. This is why... You know, you can enjoy the movies and the TV shows without delving deeply into the comics, but this is why you should at least know the the backstory. To my Harley Quinn, like, no, sweetie, no, you don't want that. I want what the Joker and Harley Quinn have. No, you do not. No, you don't. And I think that's one of the reasons why I didn't particularly care for this character initially. After doing some research, watching some you know, of the the films and episodes and reading some of the comics and stuff, I really have a more appreciation for this character, especially the character arc, the evolution that this character has gone through because she's no longer with the Joker. And it's important that this story is told because it's a story that a lot of people are familiar with. Right. And people who are in domestic abusive relationships and whatnot, you know, it's a vicious cycle. And, you know, I used to think that Harley Quinn was just weak. She was a weak character. But, you know, it's until you're in that situation, you don't really realize how easy it is for the right person to manipulate you. And right. that's who Joker was for Harley Quinn. And knowing, you know, and, and especially now, knowing what I know about who the Joker is and what he's done, like, it, it's not, like, Harley Quinn is absolutely the victim in this situation. Right, and she always was. Like, she was never, she was infatuated with the idea of someone who... Loving her. Yes, cared about her, showed an interest. Be And, you know, once the Joker had her, and like had her in his in his clutches, so to speak. I mean, there were times where she was trying to do stuff to, you know, you know, please the Joker, make him happy, and like well, didn't she? She caught Batman. Well, that's that's what I'm yeah. getting to. So there's an episode of the animated series where, you know, she captures Batman and says, "Oh look, you know, I did it all for you," and he gets pissed. Like he, she used his plan or like a version of a plan that he was going to use, and he gets pissed to the point that he throws her out a window. And the scene ends with her landing in a dumpster, and she like looks up and apologizes. Right. The relationship is very much the standard definition of Stockholm syndrome. Like it is a hundred percent a product of its time. You know where. Harley and Joker came out, you know, they were both in the animated series. You could get away with a little more with animated stuff. It was also the early to mid nineties. Things were a lot different. Um, now, obviously we see her, you know, in, for lack of a better word, in an emancipated relationship, 
She has freed herself from the Joker after working, you know, multiple times with with uh, Poison Ivy. And Ivy, like, why do you let him treat you like that? Oh, he loves me. And she's like, that's not love. You know, obviously I'm paraphrasing and, you know, boiling it down to, you know, very minuscule parts here. But this is what happened. Like, they and, you know, they were friends. They would go on heists and do stuff together. She's like, you don't need the Joker. You can do whatever you want. You know, you're powerful. You're strong. You're this, you're that. And eventually that blossomed into a romance. And we've seen, you know, even some recent, um, you know, some recent interactions that the Joker and Harley have had where, you know, he'll, you know, he'll hit her, he'll punch her, he'll kick her, he'll try to stab her. And she'll, like, fight back as opposed to... Or he'll say something like, you're nothing without me. Like, you can never rid yourself of me. And she just walks away, which she would never do that before. Right. But she has found the strength within herself. 25 years ago, like, she was like, she'd be like, yeah, you're right. Like, no matter what happened. Like, I am nothing without you. But she has been able to move past that and see the value in herself thanks to the friendship of Poison Ivy and ultimate, you know, the, the relationship. But mm-hmm. I think the friendship that she had with her really did wonders for her self-esteem and showed her that somebody could love her, you know, and ultimately, yes, it blossomed into a romantic relationship, but knowing that someone loves you and accepts you for you, right? All of your faults, all of your flaws, all of your idiosyncrasies, what have you. Yeah. Shortcomings like, craziness you know knowing that somebody just loves you and accepts you for who you are can work wonders you know it really gives you the strength to persevere and move past whatever has been holding you back and ultimately the joker is what has been holding Harley Quinn back all this time. And we see her, you know, uh, she grids herself with the Joker. She joins the Suicide Squad. She's really becoming uh, her own kind of, I'm, I'm trying to think of the right word here. Not like, uh, like leading lady. She's becoming to, her own leading lady. She's become the star of her own story. It's no longer he, the Joker. That is it. So she is no longer the side character in her own story. Like in, she is the star. You you got her um, a little confused. She didn't join the Suicide Squad. Like that wasn't really okay, well, an option. <laughs> and that was she was still beholden to the Joker at that point. But she was in the process, and um, so I think the comics and the the films are definitely the way different. Film. It's different. I think the timeline is a little bit different. Yeah, because he came uh, and he took the chip out of her. He got the he got the chip out of her and right. then broke her out of. Uh, I forget which uh, which site it was. It's he not came with a helicopter in Suicide Squad. Like he rescued her with a helicopter. And honestly, like knowing what I know, well, of the he Joker, tried to rescue her with the helicopter. Again, you he, haven't seen it in a while. But like he never would have done that. He's he, very uncharacteristic no, of the character. With their relationship, like he views her as his property or like a tool, like Oh fuck that. No one uses my crescent wrench except me. Like the Joker's psychology. You are my Phillips head screwdriver. Nobody uses my Phillips head screwdriver except for me. She he uses her like 
um, you know, like he, his psychology is very like all over the place, which is why like some people have, you know, brought forth the theory that he is like a superhuman, like he can't be psychically controlled. He can't be manipulated. Like he, everything that happens to him is like something that he plans. Like he's almost got like this omniscient ability because things always end up working out exactly the way he wanted them to. Yeah, even when that's he gets exactly how I wanted this to work. Even out. when Batman kicks the shit out of him and drags him into Arkham Asylum, like it's exactly what he wanted. So that's that's really the mistake that Harley made, you know, after, you know, obviously he manipulated her and twisted her mind into thinking that he loved her because he never did, but she was like Oh, I have this psychology degree. I can, I can fix this guy. I know what how he thinks. But no matter what she did, she was never able because the, even the Joker doesn't know what he thinks. Like he doesn't know. You know, one minute he's very capricious. But Ooh, that's a good. That's a fun word. word, yeah. But you know, once he gets his mind set on something, you know, he's like that's the direction he goes in. So. You know, like, nobody can kill Batman except for him. But he doesn't want Batman dead. Like, he just wants to torment him. Like, there's one point where he becomes a god and uh, kills Batman over and over and over again because he just kills him, resurrects him, kills him, resurrects him, kills him, resurrects him. Because he knows there's no permanence to his actions. So he just does what he does for fun. And, you know, when he wasn't able to take this out on Batman... It pleased him to have someone who is so devoted because, you know, Harley is like the female version in his mind of Batman. Well, it's funny you say that because I was watching one of those YouTube videos that's like a character analysis and history of the character. Do you remember who it was? I Comics Explained, Comic Story. No, I don't remember. Eris Canonis variant. You can sit there and spit out as many words as you want. I'm not going to remember what it was. All of those people are really good. Check them out. Uh, But anyways, the guy giving the history lesson uh, used that analogy that Harley's infatuation with the Joker is similar to the Joker's infatuation with Batman. Well, and Batman's infatuation, like, the, no matter what, Batman will never kill the Joker. Well, that's because Batman doesn't kill. Right, but there's, it's more complex than that. Like, when Batman first started out, like, he would hang people from his bat plane and fly away. Like, he killed lots of, like, he kicked a guy and broke his neck. He used to carry a gun. He used to carry shark spray. Shark repellent bat spray? Yes. Only when he didn't need his manta ray, whale, or barracuda repellent. Hand me down the shark repellent bat spray. That was a really good Adam West. You have to give me credit for that. uh, That was an okay Adam West. Adam West is tough. Adam West is tough. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. That's not bad. That's not bad. You're not like... Ooh, some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. Why would you sound like that's not Why do you sound the way you do when you do any of your accents? Because I am talented and gifted. Bounty hunting is a complicated profession, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, from Sweden. (laughs) So, yeah, like, it's, it's this weird, almost like a love triangle type thing, but, like, 
there's no I mean, romance. Yeah, kind, there's no romance of, to it. Yeah. Where like the Joker is, you know, he has Harley who, you know, will do anything for him. And he's got Batman who, you know, repeatedly wants to bring him to justice and stop everything that he's doing. But like is obsessed with him. Like they're two sides of the same coin. And then you have Harley who is, you know, the uh, different denomination, but still two sides of the same coin. So, and then that kind of brings us to the Harley Quinn from Birds of Prey. Now, no spoilers, I promise. I pinky promise. My pinky's up, so uh, lock and load. But anyways, it kind of brings us to Harley Quinn now, Birds of Prey. She's broken up with the Joker, and there's a lot of chatter. Like, initially, she didn't want to tell people that she had broken up with the Joker because it opened a lot of doors for her. Well, being under the umbrella of like nobody wanted to fuck with the joker right so and nobody fucked with her because... so she could do anything she wanted right so it's like this nice cushion this nice umbrella that she's been under you know for so long it's like a cloak of invisibility and she doesn't know if she has the strength to really be on her own you know to not have the joker's hand to hold to not have him open all of these doors for her. You know, she could get into any club anywhere because, oh, that's she's with the Joker. Right. And she could walk around, take your drink. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter how important you are, how dangerous you are. You know, she take your drink, slap you in the face. You know, I mean, there's a scene where she enacts a small, uh, a small injury upon oh, Roman Sionis' driver. And, you know, Sionis comes over. He's like, that was my driver. Like... And she's like, yeah, oh, well, whatever. But it's a lifestyle that she's comfortable with. You know, not so much, you know, the abusive side of the Joker, but the opportunities that being the Joker's lady it's almost, allowed her. It's almost like, you know, so many, like the, uh, you know, thinking about it and having rewatched some of the earlier seasons of Game of Thrones, it's almost how Theon Greyjoy acted all the time. Like... Oh, I can do whatever I want. Quinn is Theon Greyjoy. Well, I can do whatever I want. Oh, shit. I done fucked up now. Right. Like, now there are repercussions. But it kind of... um, A lot of victims of domestic abuse are afraid to leave their abuser for a multitude of reasons. You know, and one being financial. Right. They're not allowed to have their own money. They're, you know, right. Or at least you know? if they are, they're not allowed to control it. Like everything's under the abuser's and, you know, name. We, we talk about some of the physical abuse, but he was also very emotionally abusive towards her as well. So, you know, you have to get over the physical aspect, but you also have to get over the emotional aspect as well, which is just as hard. Yes. You know, and where she had become so dependent on the Joker, it's like she's, you know, in Birds of Prey, she's trying to find her own identity without him. And now this isn't the first time that they've broken up. They've broken up several times in the comics. They've broken up several times in the animated series and the films and every everything, every media that's out there. They've broken up before and they reference that in Birds of Prey. And she overhears people talking like, oh, well, I wonder how long this is going to last. Like she can't live without him. She's going to go back to him and And those are her supposed friends right and those are supposed to be her friends and it just kind of strikes a chord with her and leads to this ultimate change and i think 
Margot Robbie really hits the nail on the head with this character in this film. Like, she was great in Suicide Squad. Like I said, she was my favorite part. She made Suicide Squad watchable. But that was a one-dimensional character. Right. Whereas in Birds of Prey, there's more substance there. There's more to it. You know, there were several scenes... There are several scenes that I absolutely love, like when she chops her hair off and then cries, you know, and that's something that we see in the trailers because we notice she's sporting more of like a a chopped, almost like pixie-esque type cut of uh, pigtails versus, you know, the long, luxurious locks that she had in Suicide Squad, Um, you know, and everything from, you know, like I said, the hair to uh, her wardrobe Mm -hmm. to, you know, her her actions she's living alone she gets a pet she names it bruce which i think is freaking hilarious because she names it bruce after the batman no after the hunky wayne guy yes not after the batman after the hunky wayne guy. there's a different well, I mean, batman like, thing that we're gonna reference later but but yeah like we all we all know that batman is bruce wayne and if you didn't, I'm sorry. Spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Spoiler Bruce alert. Bruce Wayne is Batman! <laughs> but, but anyways, I think that this character at the end of Birds of Prey is very... It's a very liberated character. I think it kind of matches a little bit where the comics are at these days. I also, you know, I, I made reference earlier about how where it was uh, directed by a woman, so it... it significantly uh, downplayed the sexuality. Like when we saw Suicide Squad, like, you know, she had that scene where she bends over and shows her ass grabbing the the um, the purse out of the window. And she's like, what? With the ad guys. Or like when she's, you know, forced to s- strip in the you know middle of the yard and put on her like tiny little hot pants and her, you know, her half shirt there. In Birds of Prey, they focus on her intelligence and they talk so and much. And that's an- another thing, too. Like, they they acknowledge the fact that she has a freaking PhD. Yeah, she's a guy. She's fucking PhD. Like, she has a doctorate. She is Dr. Harleen Quinzel. Like, she spits out some of these, you know, phrases and some of these sayings. And you hear it in the and, trailer that we played earlier. Right. You know, in the midst of conversation... And it's clearly, you know, jargon from a psychologist. Right. She's stuff that she learned getting her master's and PhD in fucking psychology. And we see this, you know, throughout, you know, the the film where she's like analyzing people and getting into their heads and, you know, predicting how people are going to act. I actually saw. So I saw a couple of articles. Uh, One being you could tell this film is directed by a woman because of what it focuses on, you know, from the hair, the hair being more fun and choppy versus like long and luxurious and seductive, obviously her clothing being just more fun and free uh, versus, you know, uh, what she was wearing in Suicide Squad, her daddy's little monster shirt, clearly showing ownership to the Joker. Yeah, and she left it and the dog collar, you know, that said Puddin' on it. The the um, They make that specific point about the J necklace. Yes, yeah. She throws, you know, she she does something with that. 
Um, you know, it's, it's everything that she's wearing, everything that she's doing is definitely her own. It's her own decision. That's why the scene cut with her cutting her hair is one of my favorite things because it's her decision. Nobody else's. And also another one of my favorite scenes. And again, this isn't a spoiler scene. Somebody actually wrote our whole article about this, uh, was the hair tie scene. When they're at the, um, it's the big matchup and they're all doing their thing and uh, Black Canary is having a really hard time keeping her hair pulled back, which is one of the things that I gripe about in some of these superhero films. It's like, can somebody please give this bitch a hair tie? Like, homegirl needs a hair tie. She needs to pull her hair back. Like, your hair does not do that. Uh, yeah, so Black Canary is having a difficult time keeping her hair out of her face and fighting the bad guys and doing her thing. And Harley Quinn's like, hair tie? And offers her a hair tie. And I was just like, oh my God. That is the most like sisterhood, girly, I got your back thing you can do is offer somebody a hair tie. So I fucking, that's probably my favorite scene of the entire film. I fucking loved it. Yeah. And, you know, they definitely show her going through the stereotypical bad breakup, you know, the, the cheese whiz you know, while wearing the, the bear it's onesie. Like, it's uh, it's kind of like the stages of grief of a breakup. And they show her going through all that. And, you know, Margot Robbie did a really great job of getting Harley Quinn through all of these stages. And the end of Birds of Prey, I really like the Harley Quinn that Harley Quinn becomes. I think that this isn't the last that we've seen of it. it just, you know, my opinion, this isn't the last that we've seen of Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. I think that this film could spawn a couple of spinoff films from this. And I, I absolutely think we're going to get another Harley Quinn film. Yeah, um, I definitely think we'll see a, a Birds of Prey. I would love a Huntress backstory. Huntress has a really good backstory, and Mary Elizabeth Winstead, uh, her delivery was perfection. Um, you know, my only gripe is she didn't get enough screen time, but at the same time, it's a Harley Quinn film, not an actual Birds of Prey film. But I think it did a really good job of introducing the Birds of Prey. I'm intrigued. I want to know more. I want an, an actual Birds of Prey film now. Yeah, and that gives you more of the backstory of these characters. There's a, there's definitely a uh, an interesting, you know, story that goes along with this because this is one of the few stories about Gotham that doesn't revolve around Batman or the Joker. Like Roman Sionis is not one of the most well known uh, villains. And I like the fact that DC is kind of starting to do what Marvel did. They're like, we don't have to shove Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman down your throat. Here's the birds of fucking prey. This is like the Guardians of the Galaxy. Right, that's what I'm of saying. Of the DC universe. Like, here, you know, oh, you love the Joker and Guardians you love just kind of came out of nowhere. Nobody really, I mean, I had no It's an obscure clue 70s. These- comic characters were and we went to see it and actually no we didn't even go to see it we ended up renting it or something i think this was back when we were red boxing it or yeah or you know uh, 
early days of Netflix. We did get to see it, the second one at the drive-in. We did see the second one, but and the second one was good. But I really like the first one. Well, and that's that's what I'm trying to say is like they're starting to show that you can take characters. You don't have to keep cramming the same characters. Like we don't I need don't to see need ba- another freaking Batman movie. We don't. That's what I'm trying to say. We don't need to see Batman's origin again. We even in the Joker film with. Joaquin Phoenix, we still have Batman's fucking origin. It's like we don't need to see that. We've seen it a thousand oh goddamn times. Oh my god! What do you, what do you what do you mean? His parents died. Gasp! Like right. we know, we know. Let's see some new characters, and you know it was done incredibly well. Like you have again. Victor Zaz, who I was very impressed. You recognized who he was, even though he looked a lot different. He didn't doesn't have like the normal slash marks, like the tally marks on him. But he had. Well, a lot. I loved it that it was Chris Messina from the Mindy Project. See, I don't. I have no idea you, who he you, was. Yeah, from it was uh, Mindy Kaling's love interest, Christmas from... Eva. Yes. Um, but the fact that you know you're taking, if you take good actors and give them good roles you know like Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Huntress like some people might know Huntress or Dinah Lance as Black Canary from the Arrowverse because Dinah Lance is a very prominent character uh, I don't know how prominent Black Canary is in that but yeah yeah um, I don't know how yeah because Dinah Lance her alter ego you know is uh, she's very prominent I don't I've only seen a few seasons of of Arrow, three or four seasons, but they never really, up until that point, I don't think they really got into the Black Canary aspect of who she was. I mean, they might have at this point with the whole crossover universe thing that they're Yo, doing. Yeah, I'm sure they did. Like, again, there's like ten seasons of Arrow, and I think I watched three or four of them. Um, casting Ewan McGregor as Roman Sionis was huge, and you get his a little bit of his backstory, which is cool, but you don't have to see the Riddler or the Penguin or Two-Face. You know, you can throw some of these, like, lesser-known uh, villains in, which is what I think is great, um, especially with, you know, where the film goes at the end. You know, if you take someone who's not super well-known, you can do a lot more with them that may not be canonical with the comics. If that makes sense. Well, and I know a lot of people are complaining about some of the backstories of some of the characters. Cassandra Kane In this film. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm not big up on the comics, so I can't really say much. But I think it's really cool that you get another story. I don't really like it when the source material translates to a film verbatim. Because it's like, well, I know this story. Like, so why am I going to sit here and watch it? I know what's going to happen. I, I can predict everything. You know, so when you change the story up a little bit, it creates this whole different universe. So, yes, you can you can honor the source material. You can love that. But you can also get something different. Too. Yeah, but I think with, you know, you and I discussed this a little bit uh, the other day. But when it comes to Cassandra Cain specifically, that'd be like, oh, here we, we have, uh, you know, Deadpool, but you know, the Wolverine origin version of Deadpool. It's like, hey, you don't know this story. And it's like, yeah, that version is not the version that anybody wants. Well, uh, so that's that's where I draw the comparison. That way you at least have another. But is it really like a good comparison, though? Yes, because of who Deadpool is. Because look at (sighs) Ryan Reynolds in the two Deadpool standalone films. 
and compare it to that character from Wolverine Origins. Well, it sucks. Right. That's kind of what they did with Cassandra Cain. Yeah, but Cassandra you don't really Cain, know much about Cassandra Cain right now. Cassandra Cain, when she was a child, was trained to be a super assassin. Like, she could kill before she could speak. Like... That is not the character that you see in this movie. Like, oh, let me well, hide. Not yet. Oh, not yet. Yeah, but uh, I, I think I know what you're saying. But like, this is where okay. people are upset. I'm just saying. That's, okay. That's okay. what people are mad about. Okay, Mr. J. Oh, I'm not Mr. J. But uh, so I think this is a pretty good place to uh, wrap up. Um, I know I teased a little something. Uh, I'm going to play a clip from the new uh, Batman show. And if you've seen Harley Quinn and you've seen the post-credits moment, this is what she was referring to. I didn't know that, but this is what uh, the reference is. So I will be uh, playing that, and we will be right back. Greetings! We are the Retro Reductopus Cephala Podcast, the bi-weekly show that celebrates all the things that made growing up awesome. He's right. We wax philosophic about lots of geeky crap like old video games and movies, toys, cartoons, I don't know, help me out here. Music. Pants. Quoting video games that don't have dialogues. Shabibans. Tasty news. Unnecessarily long Japanese onomatopoeia. Butt breathers. Uncomfortable nature facts. Or how to install a samoplange. And unlike all those other podcasts, we at Retrodoctopus have an exciting rotating host schedule. Do we? We sure do. So, if you didn't like the guy flapping his gums this week, like me, worry not, gentle listener. Next week, we'll have a whole new host. Of problems. Hey, they might still suck, but they'll suck differently. And you know what's really cool? Retrodoctopus is part of the Dorkening and Inebriar Podcast Networks with new episodes every Tentacle Tuesday. Which is like every other Tuesday. We named it. Anyways, you can listen to us at iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or any podcast player cool enough to carry the only show that celebrates all things that make growing up awesome. Hey, what's going on? I'm Steven. And I'm Ron. And we're the hosts of the Super Retro Throwback Reviews Audio Podcast. If you like to hear the latest pop culture news with some smart-ass commentary as well as the latest movie reviews, then check us out. Also, we're a multi-award-nominated podcast, so we're doing something right. God knows how that happened. So check us out on all major podcasts and distributors, and check out Super Retro Throwback Reviews on all social media platforms. What the hell? So, Quinn, you press the button. Yeah, I don't think you got all the kinks worked out. It's in beta. Wow, I always wondered what the bat cave looked like. So this must be where you fuck the bat. Hmm. Are you going to help me or what? You've seen the bat cave. Give me one reason why I shouldn't let you drop. Um, uh, hey, bats. Yeah, I'm here on a mercy mission, okay? Gordon's on the roof of the police department. He's lost his mind. I mean, I think he's suicidal. He he said you abandoned him. I don't know what he wants from me. We're co-workers. My screensaver just kicked in, didn't it? Yeah, it sure did. I mean, he said he put your work before your friendship. That's, that's real selfish. You know, Bats, now that I think about it, 
You and I ain't that different. We're completely different. We're both badasses who look good in spandex. This polymer body armor is made from indestructible microfiber. Yeah, no, it looks like spandex. (laughs) My friend just lost his arm, and instead of helping him get it back, I did what would help me get into the Legion of Doom. I let him down, just like you let Gordon down. Not good at emotion. Or vocabulary. But hey, you got a chance to repair it, okay? We need to get Gordon before he does something crazy. Your friend needs you now. And welcome back. That's the uh, clip I was referring to before we uh, before we went to break. And uh, after hearing it again and, you know, knowing that that's Kaylee Cuoco, I definitely hear Kaylee Cuoco's voice. I didn't before, but when you were like, hey, this is Kaylee Cuoco, I was like, oh, my God, it's Kaylee Cuoco. Because, like, listening to it, I was like, hmm, that's a very familiar voice. And, uh, yeah, that's that's why. You should have me voice Harley Quinn. You probably could, right? Like I could probably. You could do probably that. do. I think you should I do, do poison a lot of ivy voices. I could do. I could do so many voices. They're all in my head. Yeah, but so, I hope you really enjoyed our discussion of Harley freaking Quinn. That's what the F stands for. Yes, Francis so, freaking. It's all the same. So uh, we have some battle results. We do have some battle results from last week. We threw down the battle. Travel method madness. Which superhero flying method would you much rather use? You could choose from a jetpack like Jupiter Jet, rocket boots like Iron Man, throwing a hammer like Thor, or a grappling gun like Batman. And uh, with the results from Twitter and the Facebook... Throwing a hammer like Thor won. Really? Yeah. That is not... I mean, I picked uh, Jetpack because my backpack's got jets. You're Boba the Fett. You bounty hunt for Jabba Hutt to finance your vet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you that's what I, I thought might... A mask is over your the, face. The hammer thing, I guess that makes sense. You we, want me to put the hammer down? We did have a little bit of, uh, of uh, confusion... Where uh, someone in one of the groups where I posted the battle uh, was saying how the using the grapple line is very similar to you know Spider Man's web lines, and you didn't really consider that um, flying. And I was like, well, I'm looking at it from the point of view of the Arkham games, where yes, you can use the grapple line to get from the ground to you know uh, you know uh, uh, the top of a light pole or something like that. But he also can glide, so like you use the uh, the grapple line, like, you know, similar to, you know, you, you shoot it at something that's high up and you grapple up very quickly and then you use that as a launching point and you launch yourself high in the air and then you can glide for quite a bit of time. Well, and that's something, the the game, right? Yeah, that's why I said Arkham. Yeah. Yeah. So I chose the rocket boots like Iron Man. Because if you've seen the footwear that I wear, especially the boots that I wear to conventions, they are very big and very fabulous. And I could definitely store enough rocket fuel to get me from point A to point B in my boots. Yeah, and it does. Plus, I love a killer pair of shoes. You would just, just need really stabilizers. Like but, like, you know, like Iron Man has These on his hands. These boots are made for flying. 
that's, that's just what they'll not. do. One of these days, these boots are going to fly all over you. Fly right over you. Fly right. Yes. See, that's why we're a team. Yes. Um, also, Andy Doyle, the dice man, the dice man uh, said throwing the hammer dressed like Batman. Batman could wield Thor's hammer, I believe. See, I don't think so. I yeah, think he he's, probably I think has. He's too naughty to wield. It, you don't. Doesn't Thor's matter. Hammer. You just have to be worthy. I mean, like, but really, is Batman worthy? A lot of he's people kind of who asshole. might not be worthy have wielded, who are kind of assholes, have wielded that hammer, like including who? Thor. Yeah, but there wasn't there a time where he couldn't pick it up. Yeah, well, that happens a lot. I can't pick it up. Oh, a bit of performance anxiety. Oh, I swear this has never happened before. Uh, oh. And you make fun of my accents. I was just doing an accent. I wasn't necessarily being... That's the worst crimps, crimps, crimps. Crimps has worth. <laughs> so on that note, you have a wine fact for us. <laughs> I do. I have so much wine to talk about, you guys. Oh, my God. So I am continuing my search for the butteriest, butteriest Chardonnay out there. Uh, I've tried a couple more. Honestly, they're really not worth talking about. I've been really disappointed. I did, however, get a couple of recommendations. So I'm currently seeking those out to see, you know, do they do they stand up to the Ashes Von Nightmare butter scale? But uh, Apothic, my favorite vineyard, my favorite wines, uh, and recently announced on February 3rd that they're releasing a Cabernet. So I have been searching the local liquor stores. I'm on a quest, ladies and gentlemen. I am questing for Cabernet. I'm looking far and wide, or at least at the local liquor stores for the Apothic Cabernet. Unfortunately, I don't think it's made its way here yet. So people know that I'm looking for it. They uh, are going to let me know when they get it in. But yes, Apothic Cabernet Sauvignon added to the brilliant display of, of Apothic wines. And we all know that Apothic Dark is my all-time favorite wine. I love that wine. It's my comfort wine. I it, it pairs with so many things, and it just makes me so happy. So I'm on the search for Apothic Cabernet. However, in my search for Apothic Cabernet, I stumbled upon another Cabernet Sauvignon, that I feel is worth discussing. And so I'm going to tell you about it on today's episode of Von Nightmare Vineyard. So let's take a walk. I am talking about today. It's called Carnivore without the E. So C-A-R-N-I-V-O-R period wines. They're located out of Modesto, California. They have a couple of red wines that are their specialty, one being a Cabernet. Now, obviously, with a name like Carnivore, the label spoke to me. I read the back a little bit. I said, you know what? Sold. Let me try it. So I'm going to read to you a little bit about their description from their website. At Carnivore, we love big, bold wines, but we also love a smooth finish. We think you shouldn't have to choose between the two. You deserve to have it all in one bottle. 
So we set out to create a wine with big, bold flavors and a silky, smooth finish. Now, their whole thing is that their wines pair well with meat because we all know that big, bold, dry, flavorful reds pair really well with red meats and pasta dishes, typically. Um, I currently, I, I don't eat meat anymore. I'm a vegetarian, uh, but I really enjoyed this wine. So they describe this wine as their Cabernet Sauvignon specifically because they also do a Zinfandel. I haven't tried that one yet, but I will. Our boldly blended California Cabernet Sauvignon is an exceptional complement to your favorite red meat, layered with hints of rich blackberry, luscious caramel, and smooth toasted oak. Now, it is big. It is juicy. You can definitely tell that these wines are aged in oak barrels, which I love because it gives us this nice, smooth finish. You do kind of get a little bit of a hint of caramel on the back of the palate, but it's definitely fruit forward. It is big and dry, and I freaking love it. I was actually recommending it to a coworker who has a similar wine taste as mine. He loves the reds. He loves them big. He loves them bold. He loves them dry, as opposed to his wife, who loves more uh, the fruitier varietals. But I was recommending this wine to him, and I said, you know what? There's really nothing exceptional about it. There's nothing remarkable, remarkable ooh, excuse me, about it. Uh, it's just a really good Cabernet. Like, it's a solid Cabernet. If you want a Cabernet, definitely search for Carnivore, without the E, Cabernet. Because you take a sip and you know you're drinking. A, it's just it's just a really good Cabernet. Like, the varietals, that, they, I think I'm drinking the um, 2017. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the 2017 uh, vintage of varietals. And... Uh, yeah, this was definitely a good year for their uh, for their crops. So definitely look if you're looking for something that is big and bold and dry, but definitely smooth on the back of the palate. Search for Carnivore Cabernet Sauvignon, and the perfect part is uh, it's about ten dollars for the bottle, which is a perfect price point for me. So yeah, Carnivore without the e. Definitely look them up. Yeah, it's it's not terrible. Well, it's not. Well, it's, it's, it's not my of, kind of wine. So it's funny. Speaking of my coworker, so he and I have very similar uh, wine taste. So if I like something, I can recommend it to him. Sometimes we'll even buy each other's wines. Like I tried this at a tasting. I think you'll like this. Uh, our spouses, on the other hand, his wife, my husband. Pats of the Angry Nerd Hi. Um, have very similar tastes as well. So they're they're more of like the fruit forward, sweeter, sometimes bubblier, lighter on the palate wines. So, you know, if I find something that Patsy and I both like, I definitely recommend it to him because I think it's something that him and his wife would both enjoy. So Right. So that's a story. Yes, and that You're was welcome. a fun story. So <laughs> I today have a fun and exciting shark fact, and uh, it's something that I, I I mentioned recently on my uh, my Shark Bites show. Is it the epaulette sharks? No, it's not about epaulette. It's about 
how baby there is sharks. No such thing as a rogue shark. Rogue shark. Rogue sharks are what are sharks like, that are. If you let me finish, they are the sharks that uh, are kind of um, taken out of context and made to be uh, more fearsome than they actually are. So if you look at Jaws, Jaws is an example of a rogue shark, like a shark that just hunts people down. So not mutant sharks. Right. Not like X-Men rogue. Not like rogue, no. It's any time that there have been like mass shark attacks, it's usually multiple sharks. It's not one shark that has acquired the taste for human meat. Like that's not the way... It it works. Um, one of the examples I use is in Australia, there's a lot of bull shark attacks along this one specific uh, stretch of beach. And it's because there is a waste pipe that drains all the waste out into the ocean. It's like a kilometer long. And it's also, it also happens to be a popular surfing swimming site. But there are lots of fish called mullets that swim around and they are prey fish for bull sharks. So the bull shark goes to, and you know, big uh, schools of bull sharks go to prey on the mullet because they're super easy, barely an inconvenience. And people end up getting bitten because they're in that area. It's not because the bull sharks are hunting them down or seeking out humans uh, because humans really aren't all that appetizing to a shark. Like there's, not enough fat, and too much bone. So there is no such thing as a rogue shark. It's just something that Hollywood has created. And, in fact, Peter Benchley, who wrote Jaws, says, you know, if he had to do it all over again, he never would have written the book the way he wrote it because after Jaws came out and everyone's like, oh, sharks are bad, sharks are bad, sharks are bad, you know, the hunting uh, increased and the populations of sharks have gone down and it's really screwed up some ecosystems. And, uh, you know, you have people who think that sharks are just evil, unstoppable murder machines, which that's not true. Because how many times have you seen the videos surfacing of people swimming with the sharks? Like the, uh, the, the, the video of the young lady who swims around with Deep Blue, who's 20, 25 feet, and she just swims alongside, touches the fin, you know, maybe touches her pectoral fin or her dorsal fin or her tail. And it's... No big deal. The shark doesn't, like, turn around and viciously attack her. You know, you'll have videos of people who are in front of the shark, you know, as, you know, the shark comes towards them, and they just take a video. Like, people aren't getting bitten. They're not getting attacked. Part of that was because, you know, you would see all these videos of shark cages being viciously attacked, and it's like, oh, sharks are just so bad. Look at them. They're trying to get to the, the you know... The people on the inside, you know, shark cages are like candy. You know, they're crunchy on the outside and chewy on the inside, you know, because that's where the sweet, sweet people are. But no, that's not how it is either, because the shark cages uh, at the time when shark cage diving, like right around the 70s and 80s, started becoming popular again because of, uh, you know, the the, the way it was uh, kind of shown on uh, on Jaws. The me- the metallic composition of the cage really screwed up the electro sensor uh, receptors in the shark's body, like the way that they, uh, you know, kind of attract, pre- uh, detect prey from so far away. 
they detect the electrical signals that are given out by every person. You know, if your heart beats, you are giving out this electrical signal that will attract a shark. You know, especially if you're thrashing around and swimming and playing and having a good time, it's the exact same electrical signal that a fish in distress will make. So, once they changed the metallic composition of the of the cages, the shark stopped attacking it because it wasn't screwing with them. You know, it would be like if you played a really high-pitched sound around a dog and the dog starts freaking out. Well, it's not because a dog is bad. It's because it's, you know, sensory overload. You know, that's what's going on. So that's my uh, science fact for today. I wanted to share this around a little bit more, you know, because, uh, you know, I have a specific audience that listens to to shark bites and not everyone listens to this show and vice versa. So I wanted to make sure I get that out to as many people as possible to kind of help decrease the fear of sharks because sharks are not bad. They're just doing what they do to survive. Ashes. Fish are friends, not food. What do we have coming up? We have so much fun stuff coming up. Like I can hardly contain it. Yeah, we've uh, next week's episode is going to be fun. We're actually working in coordination with the Retro Redoctopus podcast. Which, for some reason, and this happens a lot, tends to get confused with Super Retro. And part of it is there's people named Steve on both, and they both have retro in their name. So even like in our network discussions that we have... You know, this happens quite a bit. So we're teaming up with the guys. So Parasite Steve, 8-Bit Alchemy, Nintendo, and Boss Rush Mode from Retro Redoctopus to talk about some of the mascots from our childhood cereal days. Yes, uh, we can talk about... You know, if there's any ones that specifically you want us to talk about, let us know. Monster cereals. We're definitely going to be covering monster cereals. So you're going to expect to hear, because my favorite, my favorite of all time is Frankenberry. I love Frankenberry cereal. And uh, I still have some boxes from a few years ago. Still still good, right? Uh, but yeah, so fresh. we're going to be talking about Frankenberry. We're going to be talking about Booberry. We're going to be talking about Count Chocula. I'm so excited. Fruit it's brute, ridiculous. Yummy mummy. Right, yes. Count Chocula, Fruit Boot, Brute. Fruit, fruit Brute. See, maybe that's why they got rid of him because it's so difficult to say. It's just talking about Fruit Boot uh, and Yummy Mummy. Uh, to name a few, probably Tony the Tiger, the Lucky Charms guy. His name is Mittens. Probably not. The the Co- Cocoa Puffs bird, Toucan Sam, the, the Honey um, Smacks guy. Oh, the frog, yes. Uh, the Sugar Crisp bear. Kawooki Crisp. That guy, Coco the monkey for Cocoa Krispies. But yeah, there were so many great... Serial mascots from our childhood that really there aren't any anymore. I mean, I think Tony the Tiger is still around. Lucky from Lucky Charms is still around, but there really aren't. You don't that see many. much from the uh, the monster series. The, the Tricks Rabbit is still around. Oh yeah, you know, there's silly him. Silly Rabbit. Tricks are for kids. Um, and the guy for Strawberry Sniggles. What? <laughs> from Rick and Morty. Oh yes. <laughs> I figured. 
My eye holes. <laughs> the eye hole. The eye hole, guys. Man. Stop eating my eye holes. Get up off my, my, my eye, eye holes. holes. No, not um, that. Oh, careful. I'm not gonna spill my wine. I'm not. I'm worried about you breaking the glass up I'm against not the canister. Break the glass. You it's nearly fine. did. You just it's dinged fine. it. I just it's just a little ding. I was making some music. Isn't mm-hmm. it beautiful? Yeah. But anyway, so that's what we're gonna talk about next week, which I'm really excited about because we had actually been talking about for a little bit now, delving into some of these mascots from different brands and stuff that are pretty iconic. Yeah, like Spuds McKenzie, like. Yeah. Slurms McKenzie. Slurms McKenzie for the original uh, party worm. Yep. Uh, but Beanie yeah. Wham Wham Wazzle. That's what we're going to be talking about next week. We've got some uh, good stuff, and that's which gonna is be... going to create a pretty crazy battle. Yes, that's going to be an interesting, an interesting battle because next week is battle time. So that's so going to be. Stay fun. tuned for our serial killers episode. That'll definitely that's be the name of the battle. The, yeah, the name of the battle. Probably not the name of the episode. Uh, we Surely you can't be serial. Some really <laughs> <laughs> for serial guys. It's man bear pig. They're super serial. Um, Back when South Park was worth watching. But anyways, uh, we also have some really fun stuff coming up with the Dorkening Network. So that includes the Retro Redoctopus guys. And Steve from Super Retro Throwback Reviews 2.0. Sometimes they get mixed up with the whole Steve from Retro. Um, and a bunch of other shows on the Dorkening Network talking about Castlevania. It's yeah, Amalgamania is going to be on there. Crazy Blood and Badasses. Castlevania crossover event. That's and going Steve to be already, uh, he already um, named our episode. Yeah, it's going to be going on pretty much all through March. And I believe there's going to be some prizes involved. So you're going to have to... Uh, you're going to have to listen to episodes. All of the episodes, including the live shows, because we're going to have specific phrases oh and God, things. Oh my guys, there are live shows. Oh is it going to be like Pee Wee Herman, like the word of the day? Like, you said the word. I hope not. I hope so. I hope not. I hope so. But yeah, that's what we've got coming up. That's in the next. And then shortly after that, uh, we're only eight short weeks away, uh, 10 short weeks away from you can count. episode 200. Well, I'm looking at different things. Episode 200. What? We're going to have to do something special for that. Our little baby is almost 200 episodes old. I think everyone should give us $200. Oh, that would be so nice. Thanks, guys. Happy birthday. A contest benefiting us. That's great. Yes. So everyone can give us $200, and everyone who gives us $200, works. we will say your name on the show. <laughs> say your name. Say your name. We'll say it. Throw it on Thursday. We'll so say, like, thank if you. If you send money our way. Money bags, McGee. Uh, but anyway, so we are currently planning our 200th episode, which is going to be pretty great. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that we get some really cool stuff. And I hope there's lots of alliteration. I mean, I can make that happen because, you know, I, I'm hoping I'm on there's the show. not a lot of alliteration. Well, so. you know, we don't always get what you don't have to see eye to eye. Um, also, anyways. there's a couple of things I want to quickly promote: uh, Red Summer Massacre on crowdfunding. I forget which because there's so many that I've been talking about. 
Uh, I'll definitely. I've been posting links everywhere. But Red Summer Massacre is a horror movie that you want to you want to support. They have a lot of really awesome uh, Kickstarter uh, or Indiegogo. Their campaign has a lot of really cool stuff. Jupiter Jet, like we talked about last week, you definitely want to support them. Um, and I believe their Kickstarter is winding down. Yeah, so I if think you you've got about a, a week left. Yeah, so if you want to get a piece of that, definitely chime in soon. You know, cl- click that the support button, uh, throw your dollars at Jupiter Jet. Totally worth it mm-hmm. because trust me, we've had the opportunity to read some of the pages, and oh my god, you guys—it's really well done. Not only is the artwork amazing, but the story. It's a crazy, amazing continuation of the story from last volume of just you know Jupiter Jet, Jupiter Jet, but now Jupiter Jet and the Forgotten Radio is taking Jupiter Jet to the nth degree. Yeah, it's really and awesome. It's amazing. Like I said, they gave us some pages to read. The pages that we had to read ended on a cliffhanger that just has me going, "What?" Yeah, like it's we, a huge we, bombshell. We had the opportunity to talk to Ashley Robinson a little bit off air after ending the episode. And uh, she teased us. Oh, God, did she tease us about what is coming up with the rest of Jupiter Jet and the Forgotten Radio. Yeah, so hopefully. So, I mean, you guys haven't even read these pages yet. Oh, my God. I can't even. I, I, I just I can't even. I can't even. So, also, we want you to support uh, our friends over at Witter Entertainment and uh, um, Broke Horror Fan because they keep putting out new VHS releases. And uh, Bloody Summer Camp is the other one that you want to talk, you want to throw your money at. And if you are a fan of Mars Attacks, I'll be. Uh, they have that cool new. Um, cool new uh, trading card game that's live on Kickstarter. I'll be posting links to that. They sent me a couple of packs of cards. It's super cool. I'm really excited for this. So there's a ton of stuff that you can support, ton of stuff to, uh, you know, if you're looking for original content and new stuff to do, our buddy uh, Andy the Dice Man, uh, obviously we posted stuff for him as well. So, But if you are looking for where all of this stuff is posted, Join the Facebook group. 